I mean, I didn't have too many slides anyways for today. But the one thing that we do have to talk about is the slap. Okay, the, the Will Smith slap. Okay, you guys know what I'm talking about, right? That feels like so long ago, but it was only two weeks ago. That's right. It was only Oscars were only two weeks ago on Sunday, right? Which is wild, but it feels like I've been living with it for like two years. It feels like it's been around as long as like COVID's been around, but it's only been like two weeks. And this whole situation um, has got me worked up. Okay, uh, I even got into a couple arguments about it with a couple of my coworkers because one of my coworkers, um, uh, she was not defending Will Smith, okay? This is like the, more, the Monday after, okay? I'm sure like if, you know, for those of you who like work in an office or work with coworkers, um, you know, maybe all of your coworkers or friends were talking about it the day after, right? On Monday, um, right after the Sunday night Oscars. So that's what me and my coworkers were doing. And there were a couple of them who were trying to really empathize with Will Smith, right? So everyone knows what happened, right? I don't have to explain what happened. Everyone knows, okay? Like Chris Rock made a joke about Will Smith's wife's, uh, Jada Pinkett's hair, right? Or, you know, lack thereof. And then um, and Will Smith came up and just like slapped them in front of the whole world, right? In front of millions of people live on live television. And there, I had this one coworker in particular uh, who was not uh, defending Will Smith, but she was like saying, oh, you know, he's been going through a lot. He's been in a very dark place <laughs> in the past recent years. And, you know, he just played this role of like Richard Williams, who is the father of Serena and Venus Williams. And, uh, you know, I, he's just not in the right headspace. I'm like, yeah, he's not in the right headspace. He should go to freaking jail. I was so upset, right? Like, no criminal is in the right headspace, right? So does that mean we should empathize with all criminals and like not have them have any kind of repercussions whatsoever, right? And so I was getting so worked up. I was getting so angry. And uh, eventually I was getting mad at my coworker. I was getting mad at my, her by saying like, how could you try to be so empathetic? Chris Rock is the one that got slapped in public. He's the one that got humiliated for making a pretty like benign joke, okay? It's a pretty like, like relatively not that bad of a joke, okay? It's really, really not that offensive, okay? And I don't even, and I just think the whole like Smith family is kind of crazy. Um, so I don't even know how much of what like Jada Pinkett said is actually true, you know? Like does she really have this thing called alopecia? Um, and it's bringing so much negative attention to their whole family it's bringing negative attention to alopecia. Like people aren't really taking it seriously <laughs> as like, it's having the opposite effect of what I think Jada Pinkett wanted to do, right? And I'll, there's like so many things going on here with this one like event, which lasted just seconds, right? It just lasted seconds, right? But it was so impactful and it's making such big waves, like so many ripples in our culture that it's revealing a lot about humanity and where our culture is, right? Like our culture is like so messed up where a, an A-list celebrity can slap another A-list celebrity in public on live television and it's something being debated, right? There's like, I don't understand, right? That there's something deeply wrong with 
our society when something so violent, so blatantly violent can happen on live television and it's something debatable. That's wild to me, right? And the way, now, now there's a lot of things we could talk about regarding this, right? Um, but the way I'm looking at it is uh, how did Will Smith react to that joke? And then how did Chris Rock respond to what just happened to him? And those two things are very different. Reaction and response. Those two things are very different. The way that Will Smith reacted was from this impulsive, like gut and uh, like a subconscious behavior kind of way. Okay, he, he wasn't thinking clearly. All right, he wasn't thinking clearly. He, he was just thinking with uh, his uh, heart, his emotions, right? And also I think he was thinking with his like pride, his male ego, right? Like, oh, you're not gonna talk about my wife's hair. So he goes up and then he just like slaps him, right? And the way Chris Rock, I was so impressed with the way Chris Rock kept his composure and actually finished what he was supposed to do, which is present the nominees for best documentary, right? He could have just like, like cussed up a storm, like walked off stage, like had Will Smith arrested, right? He could have done a lot and actually it, it would have all been very understandable, but he didn't. He finished his job, right? He went off stage and instead of like uh, putting charges or giving, uh, making charges against Will Smith, um, he just was, a gentleman about it, he was gracious about it, and he kind of just like let it go, which is amazing, right? And the big difference between uh, a response and a reaction is that re reaction are, are is something that comes out of like a, a impulse, out of a gut instinct, out of um, this like subconscious behavior. And response is something that's um, introspective, it's um, kind of well thought out and you are consciously aware of what you are going to do. And that's the big difference that I see with Will Smith's reaction and Chris Rock's response to what happened to him. And the reason why this is kind of relevant for Palm Sunday is that 2000 years ago on this day, Palm Sunday, hundreds and hundreds of people welcomed Jesus into the holy city of Jerusalem. Many welcomed Jesus um, like seven days, just, oh, actually, no, five days just prior to his arrest, his trial, his torture, and his ultimate death on a cross. Now, a lot of these people were, uh, so Jesus coming into Jerusalem was causing big waves, right? And a lot of people reacted a certain way when Jesus came into this holy city of Jerusalem and others responded a certain way when, they, when he came into this holy city of Jerusalem. And there are actually four main crowds of people who welcome Jesus on Palm Sunday. And that's who we're gonna explore today. And as we explore these four crowds, hopefully it'll reveal something about ourselves and humanity. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to John chapter 12, verses 12 through 19. Um, 
Again, since uh, we're having some technical difficulties, I'll just read it for us if you don't have your Bible. But yeah, if you do have your Bible or your Bible app, it's John chapter 12, verses 12 through uh, 19. The next day, the great crowd that had come of the, for the feast heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. They took palm branches and went out to meet him, <clears throat> shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the king of Israel. Jesus found a young donkey and sat upon it, as it is written, Do not be afraid, O daughter of Zion. See, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. At first, his disciples did not understand all this. Only after Jesus was glorified did they realize that these things had been written about him and that he had done these things to him, and they had done these things to him. Now the crowd that was with him, when he called Lazarus from the tomb and raised him from the dead, continued to spread the word. Many people, because they had heard that he had given this miraculous sign, went out to meet him. So the Pharisees said to one another, see, this is getting us nowhere. Look how the whole world has gone after him. Let's pray. Lord, as we observe Palm Sunday today, as we remember your entrance into the holy city of Jerusalem, where you await hundreds and hundreds of people who welcome you into that holy city with praises, and yet there are vindictive and murderous people who were also waiting for your arrival to devise evil plots against you. And there are many others who are confused and don't know what to make of this Messiah. Would you open our eyes, open our hearts to reveal in us, whatever doubts we might have, whatever questions we might have, whatever confusion we have within us, and help us to see you for who you truly are and welcome you into our lives for who you truly are. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, so today is a special day, as I mentioned. Today is Palm Sunday, which is the day that Jesus entered into the holy city of Jerusalem. And the reason why we call it Palm Sunday, as you might have noticed in today's passage, is that the people welcoming Jesus into the holy city of Jerusalem were welcoming him with palm branches and palm leaves. And there are a couple uh, major reasons for this, okay? One is because when in the Roman Empire days, when an emperor or a king would come back uh, to his own kingdom with uh, after like a long battle or a long journey, a very difficult journey um, that he and his people have, have traversed, they are welcoming him back with palm branches and they're laying it down on the floor as the king or the emperor on his horse is entering into his kingdom, into his own city. And this is kind of like serving like uh, the red carpet at the Oscars. <laughs> but instead of a red carpet, it's palm branches, right? And so it has this like regal, um, 
like almost like a noble, uh, majestic uh, symbolism. Okay, these palm branches, and that's kind of like in a worldly sense. Okay, but in the religion sense, uh, these palm branches had a deep theological and historical implications for the Jews. Uh, we'll come back to John 12. Okay, but uh, I'm going to read for us Leviticus chapter 23, which is uh, one of the first books in the Old Testament. I'm going to read for us Leviticus chapter 23, verse 40. It says, "On the first day, you are to take choice fruits from trees." and palm branches, leafy branches, and poplars, and rejoice before the Lord your God for seven days. So for the Jews, the use of palm branches was specifically designated for this Jewish holiday known as the Feast of the Tabernacles. And that's why today's passage mentions this feast, that many people have come to the holy city of Jerusalem to remember and celebrate the Feast of the Tabernacles. Now, what's interesting about this is the fact that Jesus entered into Jerusalem a few days before Passover. Actually, it's okay. It's better. <laughs> um, before Passover, which is another Jewish holiday, okay? And palm, palm branches were typically used for Feast of the Tabernacles, which occurs in either September or October. So Passover occurred in the beginning of spring, okay, which is why we celebrate Easter around the same time as Passover. And palm branches was very intentional and deliberate. The use of these palm branches were very intentional and deliberate for the Jews. And it was also used intentionally for non-Jews, for Gentiles, because they were thinking of like the Roman emperor coming back to his kingdom or the king coming back to his holy city. So who was this crowd that welcomed Jesus into Jerusalem? And what were they saying about Jesus through the uses usage of palm branches. Now, when I was younger, and uh, I've heard messages on this passage on Palm Sunday, a common story that I've heard multiple times is that it's the same group of people who were waving palm branches and were saying, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is the one who comes in the name of our Lord, right? And it's the same people who yelled, crucify him, crucify him. On Good Friday, when Jesus is tried and uh, arrested and tortured and killed. But it's not the same group of people. There are multiple groups here. Okay, there are multiple crowds here at play when it comes to welcoming Jesus. Okay. And we're going to, and there's four main groups of people that we're going to talk about today. Okay, the first group of people welcomed Jesus as a heretic. Okay. This is the Jesus is heretic crowd. These are the people who believed that Jesus was a liar, a blasphemer, a heretic, and ultimately a threat. Now, most of these people, interestingly, believed, who believed that Jesus was a heretic were not necessarily looking at the facts. Okay? They didn't want to confront the truth. A lot of these people who uh, labeled Jesus as a heretic had a lot to lose themselves. So well, one of these people um, is uh, King Herod. Okay, King Herod was the king of the Jews in the first century. And the reason why I put his name in quotations is because he was a puppet king. Okay, so the Roman Empire was like um, 
had all the power in the first century, right, in the ancient world. But they also knew that the Jews wanted their own government, right? And so to be really, like, politically savvy, they put this puppet king on this fake throne and said, he is your king, okay? And that was King Herod, right? But he pretty much had to do everything that the Roman Empire told him to do, right? But it gave this, like, facade of the Jews having their own government, like they did thousands of years ago in the time of, like, Joshua, Caleb, and the prophets, like King Samuel, uh, and all of that stuff. Or King Saul, I should say, right? Um, so it was like a, a puppet king, right? And so, and one of Jesus's nicknames was King of the Jews. And so when King Herod heard that there's this King of the Jews who's coming to Jerusalem, of course, he's going to feel threatened, right? And he doesn't care what the truth says. He doesn't care about the prophecies in the Bible, all right, in the Old Testament. He just wants to re retain his kingship. And so he felt threatened. And so he wanted Jesus dead. And the best way he could do that is by calling him a heretic. Another group of people who wanted, uh, who called Jesus a heretic were uh, these religious scribes or teachers, okay? Because Jesus was uh, one of the best teachers to have ever existed, if not the best teacher to have ever existed. And if Jesus is the ultimate teacher, right? And before Jesus, like, there was a lot of debate over who was the best teacher of the law uh, in the ancient Jewish world, right? And if Jesus came along and he took that title, then what are they going to do, right? What are these teachers of the law going to do, right? And also, if the Messiah actually came as the Old Testament had prophesied hundreds of times in various different books of the Old Testament, then there's really not much left to debate for them. And so they kind of would be without a job. <laughs> they would be without a purpose, right? So they felt threatened, right? And so they called Jesus a heretic because that allowed them to keep things like status quo. And then, of course, there's the religious leaders whom we see in verse 19, where the Pharisees said to one another, see, this is getting us nowhere because they can see very in front of them the popularity and the great following that Jesus had. But these were the religious leaders. And so if everyone follows Jesus, then no one's going to be left to follow them. So they felt threatened. And the reason why this is important for us to acknowledge that many people actually in Jerusalem actually saw Jesus as a heretic is because we still have people like this today. A lot of people in America, particularly in LA, particularly, do not want to believe in Jesus as the Messiah or the Son of God because it's going to inconvenience their lives. Right? If Jesus is my king, right, if he is my Lord, then I'm not going to be Lord over my own life. And how many people do you know, right, would love to be more influential? than Jesus. How many people do you think exist out there who would have, who would love to have more followers on their Instagram, TikTok, than Jesus has followers in the world? There's a lot, right? There's a lot. And so they don't want to believe in Jesus, not because they don't think it's true, but because it's an inc inconvenience for them. How many, I wonder how many King Herods there are in LA today who don't want to follow Jesus because that means that 
they can't be greedy anymore. <laughs> okay, they can't, uh, they don't, there's a lot of people out there who are kind of like the modern day, like Pharisees and Sadducees, because that means if Jesus is Lord of my life, then that means I can't mistreat people anymore. I can't manipulate people to my advantage. I can't be abusive. So there are many people who simply do not want to follow Jesus because it's inconvenient for them. That's the first group of people, the people who call Jesus as heretic. And then there's a second group of people who consider Jesus as king. The Jesus is king crowd. Now, we talked about the use of palm branches in the Roman Empire when they, a king would return to his holy city, all right, to his own city or to his own kingdom when he comes back from a, a really difficult battle or a long journey, right? And these palm branches uh, like were a, a deep symbolism, right? And not only that, uh, the Jews who were using these palm branches uh, also wanted Jesus to be the new king. Many of them probably knew that King Herod was a puppet king. And also King Herod was really bad. He was like uh, immature, he was childish, and he pretty much did nothing except just take care of himself, right? And it was looking, looking out only for his own needs. And so they actually wanted Jesus to replace King Herod and actually create a new kingdom for the Jews, all right? So when they were saying, Hosanna, Hosanna, Blessed is the king of Israel. They're being very literal. They actually wanted Jesus to lead and start a brand new kingdom, like in, this, in the days of King David, okay? Like in the days of King Saul, okay? They wanted Jesus to be the new king, right? The new literal king. And so when they're saying Hosanna, Hosanna, that means save us, save us. They're not talking about their sin, okay? They're talking about the Roman Empire. They're saying, save us from the Romans. We want to be our own people. We want to be our own nation. And they, they really literally wanted Jesus to be their new king. And ultimately, the reason for all of this is because they wanted Jesus to make their lives better. And, you know, there's nothing wrong with that. Okay, there's nothing wrong with that. Um, you know, they wanted Jesus to fix all of their problems. They wanted Jesus to be the king, the kind of king that they wanted. They didn't want to pay Roman taxes anymore, which was like really brutal. They were like really high taxes. And they just wanted to kind of be, just do their own thing. And so in many ways, even though they were calling Jesus the, the king, of the Israel, uh, king of Israel, they wanted Jesus to ultimately serve them, serve their own purposes, serve their own needs, serve their own selfish desires. And that kind of puts a mirror back to ourselves, right? For a lot of us who do consider ourselves to be followers of Jesus Christ, how often do we use Jesus kind of as a pawn or a tool for us to get what we want rather than actually treating him as the king that he deserves to be treated. I've been a follower of Jesus Christ for many years now, and I still find myself uh, sometimes making deals with God in my prayers. I don't know if any of you do this, right? Um, but I'll, I'll say to God, like, God, if you let me get this job, 
I will uh, give this much money to your church, right? Or God, if you uh, let uh, this thing work out, this really, really difficult thing work out in my life, I will um, stop drinking alcohol or something, you know? I make deals with God, okay? Am I the only one? Do other people do this too, right? And there's something um, very interesting about that, right? It's, that's a very interesting dynamic at play, right? Because that, if for a, for a king, right? For someone who's, a, for a servant of a, like, you don't, servants don't make deals with kings, right? The king just pretty much tells them what to do. And then if he's a good king, then you'll trust that what he tells you to do is what's best for you and what's also best for your neighbors and for like society at large, right? And so we just generally, like if, if, if the king is a good king, we uh, follow his lead and um, trust that the commands, the laws that he gives to his people are good. And then the other crowd, the third crowd that welcomed Jesus into the holy city of Jerusalem uh, is the Jesus is rabbi crowd. Jesus is rabbi crowd. Now, rabbi is uh, the Jewish word for teacher, but we have to use the word rabbi because a rabbi is so much more than that, okay? Uh, when a rabbi invites uh, young men, okay, back in the first century, it was only young men to be his student, it was much more than just like sitting in a classroom a couple hours a week, okay? The student literally lived with the rabbi, like followed him around, did everything and, and did everything that the rabbi told him to do, right? And uh, pretty much was like a resident. <laughs> uh, if you could think of like a, like a resident at a med school or something like that, okay? But it was, you, you're literally like sleeping where the rabbi sleeps, you eat what the rabbi eats, right? You're, you become, and you leave your family. You literally leave your family to follow this rabbi. So, when Jesus first called his disciples, when he was first beginning his ministry, three years before the, um, the events of today's passage, it was a privilege for them that a rabbi would call someone to be their disciples, right? So that's why people like uh, Peter and his brother Andrew just left their nets. They left their fishing nets to follow Jesus because that's what you do. If a rabbi calls you to follow them, uh, to follow, then you just leave everything behind. You leave your family, you leave your job, and you just go with the rabbi. And because it's, it's such an honor to be considered um, a follower, a student of a rabbi. Unfortunately, for many people, Jesus was nothing more than that. He was nothing more than a wise rabbi. They loved hearing his stories. Uh, they loved learning from his messages about the kingdom, and they even loved witnessing all of his miracles. But they would not make him their ultimate master. He was like um, a spectacle. It was like a spectacle that they wanted to learn from, that they wanted to witness, that they wanted to be a part of. They wanted to be a part of that movement, that history, but he would not become their master. I believe that this is how most people in the world view Jesus today. 
you would be hard pressed to find someone who thought Jesus was evil. Okay, I've yet to meet someone who believed that Jesus was evil. Okay, there are some who question his existence, okay, but most people don't question his existence either. Almost everyone will acknowledge that Jesus was a good man and a wise teacher, right? Even other religious leaders all acknowledge this, right? Like Gandhi acknowledges this. Uh, and so like, this is, this is how most of the world will see him, but that's the extent of how they will view Jesus because to make him master over their lives requires so much more. And this brings us to our last crowd that welcomed Jesus into Jerusalem. And that is the Jesus is Lord and Savior crowd. This is the Lord and Savior crowd. That word that we talked about uh, earlier, Hosanna, okay? It's a Hebrew word which meant save us. And the fact that so many people were shouting this word made the religious leaders nervous. It made the religious leaders nervous, okay? It also made the Roman Empire uh, officials nervous because they were afraid that Jesus might be the one to lead the Israelites into a political rebellion, okay? That he was an anarchist and that he was trying to overthrow the Roman government and uh, lead the Jews into this, like, rebellion, uh, which is kind of ridiculous because... <laughs> Um, the Israelites, the Jews back then were like relatively small group of people and the Roman Empire was <laughs> the Roman Empire, okay? It was like massive, it was expansive. And so that was the um, key that the religious leaders used on Pontius Pilate, okay, who is a Roman official to um, have Jesus killed because the Jews themselves weren't allowed to execute a criminal. It had to be the Roman Empire who executed uh, these criminals, right? So they needed, the religious leaders needed Pontius Pilate, who was kind of like a judge and executioner for the Roman uh, Empire, to actually carry out this sentence. And that's the manipulation that they use, is that Jesus is trying to overthrow the Roman government. Whoops. Sorry about that. Ollie, shh. <laughs> so when the large crowd welcomed Jesus with palm branches, the crowd was calling Jesus their Lord and Savior. And this crowd that believed that Jesus is Lord and Savior, um, that he would lead them out of slavery, just like Moses did with the Israelites uh, thousands of years prior. And rather than freeing them from political oppression, he was freeing them from spiritual oppression and rather freeing them from government uh, oppression. He was ultimately freeing them from themselves. They wanted Jesus to be their Lord by showing them how to live. And they wanted Jesus to be their savior by giving them new life. They knew that Jesus could not simply be a king because they would be making Jesus what they wanted rather than whom Jesus actually was. And they knew that Jesus could not simply be rabbi because Jesus wasn't there simply to make them feel better or to show them cool miracles. 
they recognized Jesus for whom he truly was as Lord and Savior of their lives. And on this Palm Sunday, uh, the question that I want all of us to reflect on is, how are we welcoming Jesus into our own lives? There are multiple groups at play here when they were welcoming Jesus into Jerusalem. So the ultimate question for us is, how are we welcoming Jesus into our own lives? As a heretic? As a king? As a rabbi? Or as whom he truly is supposed to be Lord and Savior? Let's pray. Lord, you have shown us many miracles. You have taught us many teachings. And you have revealed to us many things about the kingdom. And all of these you have shown us not simply because you want to be an earthly king, not simply because you want to be a wise rabbi, but ultimately you want to be Lord and Savior of our lives. And it's mutually beneficial. That is what we are created to do, and that is what you deserve. And when we live as we are created to do, there is a joy, a peace, a comfort that the world cannot give. So even though there will be hundreds of people vying for your throne, may we have no one else in your place in our lives. And ultimately, you will remain in that seat as Lord and Savior. We pray all this in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Right. Have a blessed week.